Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. In our grief support program, we spent over 30 years learning from grieving children, teens, and adults about what they find to be helpful and also unhelpful after a death. And this podcast is our way of sharing what we've learned from them with the larger community. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to explore and talk about what matters to you in grief. Today's guest is Rachel Stevenson. Some of you may know her from her recent TEDx talk called Against Grieving in Silence. Through her personal story, Rachel talks about the pain of being isolated as a grieving child. Rachel's also an educator, administrator, and writer. She has a beautifully raw and powerful blog called Dear Dead Mother, which we'll link to along with the TEDx talk in our show notes, and I highly recommend checking out both of those. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So for those people in our audience who haven't yet watched your TEDx talk, can you give us just a little bit about your story? Absolutely. When I was five, my mom was killed in a car accident one night, and The TEDx talk compares the way I grieved and the way my father grieved. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say through that talk is that repressing grief and denying real hard things that have happened, you know, isn't the way to do things. I mean, as a kid, I wasn't given the space to talk openly about what had happened. And I know that both my father and my grandmother made the choices they did in order to protect me. You know, I really think that's Mm -hmm. what motivated them. They certainly didn't intend to create more uh, challenges, right, for this little girl who had lost so much. You know, those decisions that are made in the moment and really because of the pain people are feeling and the fear they have, um, those decisions end up, you know, making it harder, especially for kids who have to grow up and confront, you know, what happened to the people they loved. So often that can add additional layers of confusion and sadness and suffering to an already heartbreaking event of having someone that you love and care about die. That's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, for me, that's precisely what happened. And it's something that I want to share more and more now, because the truth is when I finally did discover, you know, that my mom had been killed in an accident, I mean, what happened the, di- the next day is that I was told with very soft language, you know, that she was in heaven, um, that she was with the angels. So, you know, I knew that she was gone and I, I had a real understanding of the permanence of that, you know, even though I was only five years old. But it took years for me to actually uncover what had happened for real, you know, like why why she had died. And the complicated feelings that that arose because of that, you know, and that sense of betrayal that I felt, right? Why, why were there these secrets? What else didn't I know about? Those feelings ended up 
making things a whole lot worse, just as you've already you know, alluded to. I think um, one message that I really am happy to, to get out there and talk more about is, is that if we are all making decisions that are rooted in fear, we have to be mindful of how these decisions can ultimately make things worse, you know, and, and we should be thinking of, you know, being afraid of what will come as opposed to what we need to confront in the moment. It, you know, it's just, I think having perspective on the long-term uh, implications of some of those decisions is important. Right. And, and so often it can be about setting the foundation, you know, even though one of the hardest things in the world is to have to sit down with your five-year-old, your seven-year-old, your 10-year-old and, and tell them what has happened and to give them, an honest explanation. By doing so, you set that foundation for them to have a better opportunity to process the emotions and the questions without having to wade through figuring out what's real and what's not real. Absolutely. And the truth is, I mean, one of the things that I've been talking more about is the importance of seeing children as our partners in grief. We should see kids as our equals and and the experience of grieving the people we've all lost. You know, I mean, I think that sometimes adults make the mistake of assuming that because a child is young and maybe on the surface things don't look the way they do when it, you know, when, when it comes to how grownups operate, that those feelings aren't as real or as valid or that somehow children, because they're not grown up, don't feel things to the extent that the grownups do. And what I'm trying to get at with the whole partners in grief thing is that children are owed, you know, information. They're owed the truth, just like adults are, right? So if something was withheld from an adult, I think people might object and say that that person is owed that information so that they can move through things in a healthy way and, and be reflective and, you know, confront the truth. And the same is the same as the case for a child. And honestly, I think that both my father and my paternal grandmother, who, who ended up raising me, would have potentially felt better about their own grief had they engaged me. I think they would have helped me tremendously, and I could have potentially helped them. Right, so it's a lost opportunity for mutual connection and support and understanding. Right, and in my experience, what ended up happening is that all of us you know, became complicit in this silence. Like, that I don't want to say anything because they're not saying anything. So exactly. saying anything, so I'm not going to say anything. Exactly. And I know there were so many questions that I had, not just about my mom's death and what happened, because of course that was very mysterious, um, but who she was, right? And what she loved and what she read and what she ate. And because of, of that silence, and I could just sense the constriction, you know, that everyone felt, I, I didn't have the opportunity to ask those questions either. So you're right. I mean, kids are very perceptive. They read situations well. They sink, they, you know, try to sink themselves into the family rhythms or the vibes or whatever it is that is in the air that they are responding to. And I think in, in this case, it just meant that I repressed a lot of things. And, you know, we weren't able to make the connections that we, we might have otherwise. And now as an adult, starting to put your story out there and really be extremely public with a grief that had been so silenced and shut off for so long, what's that been like for you? You know, it's been incredibly healing. And I felt a sense of control over this story in ways that I haven't in a long time. I mean, I want to say that, you know, both my father and my paternal grandmother have died. I lost my grandmother in 2002 and my dad died a few years ago in 2013. His grief, I believe, 
led to his death because it was one of the things that was putting him on a path towards, you know, alcohol and, and pills and other things that he turned to to numb the pain he was in. I think a lot now about him and my relationship with him and, of course, all the things that my grandmother did for me to, to try to normalize my life and, and, you know, set me up for success. And so this story is allowing me, or at least making the story public now, is allowing me to, you know, honor my mom, this, this extreme loss at such a young age, and acknowledge, you know, what, what might have been. But it's also a chance for me to honor my grandmother and my father, too, for the things that brought our grief stories together, even though we were so far apart in our grief journeys, you know, while we were all um, on this earth together. And so for me, um, you know, when I said earlier, I have more control over this, I think it's because I'm finding a way to make meaning out of all of this. If this becomes um, a reason, right, for me to talk to others about grief and telling the truth and connecting and, and these difficult times, it makes me feel better about having lived all of this. Right. Because honestly, you know, it's it is not so great, right? Kid <laughs> <laughs> and you know, seeing your dad uh, punish himself, uh, which I really believe he did for so many years, and you know, struggling to understand, and you know, desperately wanting to find a way to him so that we could talk about what happened, and that just never happened for us. So, you know, this now is my opportunity. I'm, I'm talking to as many people as I can about it. And through this, feeling more connected to him and more connected to my mother. And being able to look back with the perception of an adult, and maybe have a better understanding for what might have motivated them or led them to take the paths that they did. Oh, absolutely. I think I have so much um, empathy for my dad now. And, and part of the reason is because by pursuing more information about what happened and, you know, after his death, actually connecting with some of their old friends and finding things out that I didn't know about the night of the accident and what he experienced and really the horror that he witnessed, um, you know, things that he was never able to share with me. I feel for him, you know, in ways that I never could. And I think do see a lot of the decisions he made as punishment, you know, for himself. You know, at the time when I was living it, I was angry and resentful and felt distance and felt like he was unresponsive because I did ask lots of questions and, and the ways I felt I could. And, you know, I think he felt a little bit assaulted by me and my persistence and he couldn't open up. And I think, you know, I was just angry and I felt, you know, how dare he? You owe me this. But now I I'm not as angry and I just have such empathy. And, and you know, I wish that he could have let me in because if he had shared um, the information that I now have, which I got after his death, I probably would have backed off. You know, just hearing it once and just being able to look into to his eyes and, you know, understand where he had been and the things that haunted him, that would have done so much, I think, to, to connect us and to also help me to understand. So in a sense, all of those questions and that, you know, that perseverance that you had was really your way of trying to make a connection with him to have a relationship with him. I think so. So looking back at what you experienced as a child and what things were like for you between you and your dad after your mom died, has that experience influenced who you are as a parent? Definitely. 
Well, it, it, it's influenced who I am as a human being, you know, <laughs> and then, of course, as a parent, because, well, I can't look at my kids without thinking about my my life as a child and i have three daughters so for me it's been three times the the gift to to be able to cultivate these mother daughter relationships with each of my girls is a way for me to heal you know and really think about what was lost for me and try to create the things for my kids that i wished i had you know so i mean that that in itself is a big deal but i think a lot of the communication values that i have now are directly linked to to all of this because i tell the truth about everything i mean life death and and the in between and i also talk very explicitly and openly with them about subjects that you know or maybe you're uncomfortable or um you know others might shy away from with kids but you see i just think you got to put it out there and assume that they have the ability to take it in and process it and you know they'll let you know if it's too much or they need space or time and certainly my oldest daughter who is 11 you know she's at the age now where she she's very clear about whether she's receptive or not you know she she has told me in the past that I overcomplicate things <laughs> It's because I am always analyzing and like trying to trying to make meaning and trying to get them to think about the little things in our everyday and and connect them to bigger issues in life because that's what I've been trying to do my whole life. And she lets me know when I'm 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 a little bit much. You <laughs> so know? we're like, Mom, can a board game just be a board game? Yes. Well, honestly, it's hilarious. I took them to um, a play a couple weeks ago that was it's actually written and um, performed by high school students in New York City. And of course, it's provocative because, you know, these young people are talking about things that are important to them. And I mean, it's hilarious because my daughter's gone with me a couple of years now and she told her aunt, she was dreading the experience of going. And she said, it's not just that we have to go. It's that mommy wants to talk about everything afterwards. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, that goes back to the question you asked in the first place. It, I really do want my kids to have the experience of knowing where I stand, you know, making meaning with me because I longed for that as a kid. And because I don't, I want them to have these memories of our life together, you know, and, and these opportunities to really connect. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. I just want to connect, 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 connect. And it seems like you want to be a really known quantity for your kids in a way that you couldn't have with your mother because she died and that you weren't able to have with your dad. Yes, yes. I mean, that's a great way of putting it, right? That there's total transparency, right? No matter what the topic is. You know where I stand. I kind of want to know where you stand if you let me in. And there are no secrets. Because so often as you experienced and as we encourage many families who are struggling with the, aren't they too young? I don't want to you know, traumatize them. I'll just tell them when they're older and trying to help people forecast to that moment when maybe their six-year-old is now 10 and finds out new information. And then you have to deal with the the impact of the information as well as the cleanup of what feels like a betrayal. And and that is exactly what I experienced. You know, as we acknowledged earlier, so many of those decisions are made because of fear and because people as adults are in pain and it's painful for them to talk about things. You know, I think a lot of the time it's not just about protecting the kids, but about protecting, you know, yourself. A lot of the adults know that 
having a conversation like that is going to hurt. So it's an avoidance strategy. Honestly, that's what I think. I think bottom line is it's an avoidance strategy and you can rationalize it and say five years, six years, eight years, whatever it is, my kid is going to have the capacity to deal with this or the emotional maturity to understand it in a different way. But I mean, those years are significant. And honestly, given, you know, the fact that loss can happen at any time, it's just postponing things, right? And also risking that the child will never know, will never learn the things he or she needs to, to understand. But ultimately, it becomes an opening for a deeper, more authentic relationship, you know, between the living. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the bottom line. I mean, when people are lost, what better way to to grieve than to to really strengthen the relationships you have with the living? Right, and and to think about for children who are really young when somebody dies, and the idea of well, I'll tell them when they're older when they can better understand that there's really a lot of interesting, helpful territory around kids having the understanding they have that's appropriate to their developmental level. So what they understand about it at six versus what they understand about it at eight and 10. And, and as an adult in that child's life, you can be with them and partner, as you said, as they continue to develop and understand in a new way. That's right. And I mean, honestly, grief for every human being evolves, right? And, you know, what you experience as a 22 year old is different from 28 and 38 and 55. And I think that gets us back to the kids as partners here, because if you do see them as equals on an equally complicated journey, there's really no justification on holding them back from where they need to go, you know, just like you wouldn't want to hold yourself back from it. And, and if you are in parallel journeys, you can support each other how important for the adults because as you mentioned so hard to think about saying those words and then not only as a parent are you having to manage your own grief and your own feelings of loss but then you're having to figure out how to be there for your child you know thinking of how important it is for adults to reach out and find their own sources of support to better help them to be there for their kids that's right. And I think a lot of the planning that you have to do if you are trying to, um, you know, tiptoe around information or be, be mindful of what you say or don't say, I mean, that's work, as, as you suggested. And I think it's easier for adults to just be who they are in the moment and say what needs to be said. And, um, you know, the energy that you spend protecting or withholding you know, that's ultimately energy that you could spend telling and, and growing together. Exactly. I mean, many years ago, I was talking with a grieving dad and he was, he was like, I just want to be the best dad I can be to my kids. And I asked, I said, you know, how much energy do you have right now to be putting into being there for your kids? And how much energy are you having to put into keeping how their mom died a secret? And that really seemed to click for him. And he was like, oh, yeah, I could reap like 50% more energy if I had if I could just let go of trying to keep this under under a lid. That's right. So, Rachel, in our last few moments, is there any suggestions you would have for family members and friends of how they can help create that community for grieving children? I think the most important thing to do is to, to look children in the eyes and talk to them. That is the bottom line, you know, and, and you can't always plan what comes out of your mouth or predict it or control it. But I think if you make the opportunity, um, you know, create the space to really lock eyes with these children who are suffering as much as you are, the words will come 
and it will be clear what needs to be shared. That is the key. It's just sitting in front of each other and letting the words out. And ultimately communicating to kids in that situation that while there's a lot of scary and unknown parts of grief and things that are hard to imagine, the one thing they don't have to be worried about or scared of is their own story. Because as an adult, I'm not scared of the story and I'm not scared of you or your story. That's such an interesting point to end with because I think that's probably part of the reason I am putting the story out there now is because I'm owning it and feeling empowered by the ability to speak it. You know, since it was not okay um, or didn't feel, you know, okay for me to do it for so many years, now that I am it feels so good that I just want to keep doing it. And so I think that's the point, right? I mean, that's a great way to, to say it is that if, if kids feel like, um, you know, their stories are valid and worth sharing and worth talking about, I mean, that's hugely important. There's no shame attached to them. You know, there's no reason to, to hide things away. I mean, I think it gives them um, a sense of control, right? Because by telling your story and, and f- making meaning out of it, you are the one who defines, you know, what that narrative looks like and how people hear it. Yeah, to have that choice and to have that agency to be able to talk about what's happened in your life and to understand it. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking time today to talk with us and be part of the podcast. And for those of you listening, definitely go watch the TED Talk and check out um, Rachel's blog, Dear Dead Mother. Uh, I'll have links for both of those in our podcast. And thanks to all of you out there for joining us for another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our program or listen to past episodes, you can find us at D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have ideas about anything you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, send them our way at help at Dougie.org. And you can listen to past episodes as well in iTunes. So we hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.